Tonight we're recollecting Marga Puja, full moon in May, in February, when, as we've just chanted, the Buddha gave the teaching, Nyawada Patimoka. A very useful teaching. gives us the outline of how to practice following in the footsteps of the Buddha. It's an occasion, he gave that teaching because they say 1250 in arahants, or fully enlightened arahants came together <coughs> without prior appointment came together at the Wanarama to pay respects to the Buddha. So sometimes they call Marga Puja the day, the Arahant day, the, the day we recollect the enlightened disciples of the Buddha, the Sangha, or Sangha day. It's an important point because it's the enlightened Sangha that have proven that the Buddha's words were indeed correct, true. They've put them to the test through their own efforts and experienced the same enlightenment as a Buddha. They don't have the same infinite wisdom and great barami of a Buddha. The Buddha is self-enlightened. But they still have the same experience of Nibbana, a mind that's free from greed, anger, delusion, free from suffering. <coughs> so not only the Buddha, but the enlightened Sangha experience full liberation from all forms of stress, suffering. They show to us that human beings have that potential. So when we recollect the Sangha, we're reminding ourselves that we too can practice this same path, free ourselves from the affects the influence of the kilesas, greed, anger, delusion, and all their offshoots. We can do that. This is why when we meditate, often we begin by just bowing to Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, We're bowing to the enlightened mind, but also to our own potential for enlightenment. And we're reminding ourselves that it, we can change and improve ourselves as human beings. And we are very fortunate to have been born in a time when the Buddha's teachings are here. 
available to us. Not everybody takes up that opportunity. As Lumpur Cha used to say, some people are like the old frog living on the lotus, in the lotus pond, sitting on the lotus leaf next to the lotus flower. Never really knows the lotus. It just sits there. Some people are like that. They come in contact with the Buddha's teachings, but they never practice. They never really investigate the teachings and use them. So they never benefit from them. They never gain the happiness of a heart that's letting go of defilement. <coughs> or like that man who's carrying the heavy burden. Someone said, why don't you put it down? You'll be much happier. The man's so used to the heavy burden, he thinks if he puts it down, he'll somehow lose something. So he's not ready to do that. Prefers the suffering of carrying on his heavy burden than to risk putting it down and what might happen next. So he never experiences the happy mind. So the Buddhist teachings are teachings that are to be put to the test through practice. Patipatha, Patibhat. The Buddha said there's two ways to worship the Buddha. There's Amisabhucha. We make offerings to the Buddha, to the Sangha. Traditionally, candles, incense, flowers. Then there's Patipati Bhucha, <coughs> showing our respect <coughs> and worship for the Buddha through the practice. And the Buddha pointed out that he felt that was more useful even than Amisa Bhucha because it's what will actually free ourselves from suffering. And as we know, we born into this world and very quickly as we grow up, we get caught up into the world, into who we are, who we think we are what we are, our lives in our families, society, our jobs, and so on. <coughs> we get caught up into the external things of this world, which tend to complicate our minds and confuse us and bring us all kinds of suffering. So the Buddha was pointing to the practice of the Dhamma is always bringing our attention back inwards to the heart, to the mind. Because we can only really understand the world and how to free ourselves from suffering by understanding this mind.
although all the knowledge we can get from books and talks and knowing other people and things around us, it can be useful. None of it is as useful as knowing our own heart, our own mind. So this is why the Buddha gave this teaching, abandon evil, cultivate good, purify your heart. He's pointing directly to the, the way that we can experience a peaceful, happy heart. We have to turn our attention inwards and learn to look after this heart, this mind, and not let it, let it get so caught up with the world, so messed up, confused, and affected by the different experiences of the world. And Jen Chao used to say, if we are still following our moods and our desires, then we haven't begun to practice yet. If we're not to follow our moods and desires, how are we, go how are we going to do that? Well, we have to control and look after this mind. We have to develop some inner awareness, mindfulness, and insight, wisdom really start looking at this mind, see where the cause of suffering arises and see what we can do to abandon it, let it go. We can't spend all our time and energy trying to adjust the world outside to fit with our desires and our moods. We'll be doing that forever and it will never be finished, the job. Because the world is beyond our control. We can only influence it a little bit. But this heart and this mind, we can come to know and understand through the practice. And that's where we have to develop our efforts because we haven't done it very much in the past. Most people, when they come, they come here to meditate often their first reaction is, oh, it's so difficult. My mind, it won't settle down. It's like a monkey or a slippery fish or something, jumping all over the place. I can't control it. So many thoughts, so many distractions. So then they get very disappointed and you often hear people say, oh, I've got no merit, no barami. I can't do this practice. So we have to be aware of that, that habit, and not give in to that, because that in effect is another kilesa, it's another mood. The mood of frustration or disappointment where we have faith and we want to experience peace and happiness just as the Buddha taught. But the reality is we still have a mind that is not yet peaceful. So very easily we get discouraged, disappointed and want to give up. 
if we're following in the Buddha's footsteps, instead of giving up, we should start looking more closely and seeing what's going on, what's happening. Why is my mind not peaceful? Why is my mind so easily distracted? You might say this is taking responsibility for our own mind and our own experience. Instead of just giving up, we have to say, mm, this is the problem. The mind is not peaceful. It's thinking a lot. It's caught into all kinds of worries, stress, distraction, or sometimes just falling asleep. This is something I have to take responsibility for and start learning from and finding a way to get through it, get beyond it. So instead of feeling disappointed for ourselves and getting caught into a, a negative mood, we have to turn it around and say, this is what the challenge is. This is where I must learn. <clears throat> Just as a parent will take up the challenge of looking after their child. When you have a young child, you don't blame the child for not knowing how to behave, not knowing anything. You understand the child is new to the world, so it has to learn, and you help it learn. In a way, our mind is also new, it's new to the practice, because we haven't done it much before. We haven't practiced much meditation, haven't practiced much mindfulness. So we have to have that same attitude, like a parent taking responsibility to train the mind, practice with it, look after it. The alternative is it's like a, an orphan, just an orphan child with no parent, just wandering around with no love, no care, not really knowing what it's doing, where it's going, feeling sorry for itself. Now though, we have to use these good teachings that the Buddha gave us and actually take responsible for training this mind. So the attitude, Lumpur Cha or the Buddha encouraged is one of patient endurance Nikanti paramang tapotitika it's that attitude of being willing to put effort into the practice of training the mind the heart without any thought of how long will it take when will I get my results my rewards but just being willing to be patient with the mind and its moods and all the different distractions. However long it takes, doesn't matter. It's developing that attitude that it's worth doing, the training of the heart, the practice, and all aspects of the practice, they're worth doing, from dana, sila, bhavana, samatha bhavana, vipassana bhavana. These are all parts of the practice to be cultivated. And the very dukkha, the stress, the suffering we encounter during the practice 
is usually our best teacher. Ajahn Chah said, don't be afraid of dukkha, because that's where you learn. In the way of the world that we've brought with us when we come to practice is the way of always following our de desires, our attachments. We're used to that, always trying to get what we want and get away or get rid of what we don't want, what we don't like. But the practitioner following the path of the Buddha is one who's willing to face their own mind, look up, look after it, and bring the Dhamma, use it to deal with their own mind, not just to give in to every desire, every attachment, but to practice. And you see, if you understand this point, you start to understand how to work with your own mind. Because you need this ability to be patient with your mind and go against some of its desires and attachments at every stage in the practice. Whether it's the practice of dana, giving and sharing, and we don't always want to share our time, our resources, our property, our our knowledge. There'll be times when we don't want to do that, but it might be the appropriate thing to do. We have an opportunity, but part of the mind resists it, doesn't want to do it. So we have to learn how to rise above the kilesa, the greed, the attachment, put in its place, as it were, and say, well, there's another part of the mind that's higher, better, the mind that is willing to give or share, help. The same with sila. When things are going well, maybe it's quite easy to keep the precepts, follow the rules of training, keep the precepts. But then when we're tested, When people challenge us or test us, then maybe we don't want to keep the precepts. We prefer to follow our mood and say something or do something that breaks the precepts because of temptation. It could be a challenging situation, a challenging person. But then we have to bring to bear that same quality of being wishing, willing to train the mind to be patient where we're tempted to be impatient, to give in to our greed where we, we're tempted to do that. We bring up the resistance and on the resilience, the patience to not give in to our greed. When we're tempted to give in to our anger, we have to bring, bring up the strength of mind, not give in to our anger. And this is how we practice keeping the precepts. Recognizing that all these desires and attachments that lead us to break the precepts are impermanent. If you don't follow them, they don't last. If you have a desire to follow greed, follow anger, to do something or say something in greed and anger, 
if you keep patiently watching and bringing up awareness, you'll see you don't have to follow that impulse. It's just an impulse that arises and ceases in the mind. If you're firm enough and clear enough, you can let it go that way by using the precepts. All the different stressful situations that lead us into actions based on greed or jealousy or anger, worries and fears. If we start to trust in the Buddha in his way of training and we really commit to keeping the precepts, then we'll gain some confidence in ourselves because we'll see we can let go of those negative desires that might normally lead us to break the precepts. This is where you start to gain faith in the practice. You can see giving up evil, abandoning evil, does lead to happiness arising. <clears throat> Gaining a victory over your own mind is more satisfying than following your desires and attachments that maybe lead to more bad karma, more trouble. And this is how our practice progresses. These small little victories over the mind. When we're tempted to be greedy, angry, jealous, and act on those impulses, but we don't. We say no. We restrain ourselves. We stop ourselves. To do that, we need some mindfulness, some awareness, and some effort. It's what we call the practice of right effort in Buddhism. You have an effort to abandon unwholesome mind states that have arisen, and the effort to prevent unwholesome states arising further, and the effort to bring up wholesome mind states, and the effort to cultivate, develop, further those wholesome mind states that have arisen. <clears throat> Every day we have the opportunity to develop this right effort, whether it's with the practice of dhāna, keeping the precepts, or in the practice of meditation. They're all three, are, you're working with the same human mind, whatever the situation whatever the place, the time. Sajjan Chah used to say, the place of practice is right here and now, your own body and mind, wherever it is, wherever you are. You're in the monastery, you're at home, you're at work, you're out traveling or shopping. That's the place of practice. The opportunity to bring up the effort to abandon unwholesome evil states of mind and to cultivate wholesome good states of mind is always there wherever we are so practice isn't limited to any place any time it's more limited by our attitude whether we have the attitude of being willing to train practice following the Buddha or turning away from that, giving up, 
feeling disappointed, feeling we can't do it or don't want to do it. If we keep practicing in this way, keep training, then our mindfulness and understanding and wisdom starts to become more refined. And leading on from the practice of dana and sila, we become clearer and clearer what is a wholesome, good state of mind that should be preserved and cultivated and what is a negative, unwholesome state of mind that causes a suffering should be abandoned. We become clearer in that. Even though in the beginning, part of our frustration is we can't do it yet. We can't yet abandon the evil, unwholesome states. But the first victory is actually recognizing them for what they are. It's half of the victory is to just know, oh, this is something to be abandoned. Or the wholesome states are to be cultivated. Just to know that much is already what we call right view, samaditi. From then on, it's a matter of effort, practice, being willing to work with your own mind and not just give in to every mood and every mental state but be by willing to go against some of those mental states. Say no, just as we say no to a naughty child, we say no to our own mind that's called into greed or anger, jealousy, fear. And the strength of our practice is there at that point. So we need to improve our skills in developing mindful awareness internally to know our own mind better, to see it clearer. And this is why we practice meditation, sitting meditation, walking meditation, to improve this quality of mindfulness that knows the state of mind, whether it's wholesome, unwholesome, and that can have enough strength of mind to say no and to let it go, abandon it. You'll see as you practice meditation, it may be even tonight, there'll be periods when your mindfulness is strong, more continuous. You might feel like nothing can overcome the mind. Whatever thought, feeling, emotion comes up, you see it and you let it go. It could be based on greed or sensual desire, seeing, hearing things, tasting things, touching memories could be based on anger and aversion laziness worry doubt whatever the unwholesome mental state there may be periods where you're very strong in the mind can see them arise can let them go they don't bother you then other periods mindfulness slips again and we're willing to take up every little thought that comes, seems important, seems more interesting than practicing mindfulness. And off we go, daydreaming, getting caught into our moods again. You see, in every time you meditate, every session of meditation, and even through our day, 
there's this competition going on between the Dhamma, the mindfulness, the wisdom, and the Kilesas, which would take us away from the Dhamma, back into our moods, back into endless thinking, daydreaming. So the practice is about improving these skills, the mindfulness, the insight. The shortcut way is to develop a lot of wisdom quickly. Be clear, every mental state is impermanent. <clears throat> What's impermanent doesn't belong to you. It's not a self. We don't have to grasp at it as me, mine, myself. It's just a mood, just a thought comes and goes. It's just a feeling. If we keep developing that wisdom, the wisdom that sees the uncertainty of these moods and thoughts, you use that to your advantage and you can keep undermining craving and attachment when it comes up. Because you've seen things as impermanent before, you can use that insight over and over again and remind yourself it's not sure, it's impermanent doesn't last. Even the most <coughs> the most miserable, unhappy state of mind is still a mental state that arises, passes away. It's this inner knowing <coughs> not based on books anymore or other people's words but just on your own mindfulness and insight this inner knowing that we're cultivating to see our own impermanent changing states of mind coming and going just as the Buddha said on the full moon night like tonight you watch the clouds they come across the moon, cover it over for a while, then the moon emerges bright again. All our, all our different mental states and moods are like that. They can be very dark, the attachment can seem very strong, the mind can be very caught up. But if we trust in the way of practice and keep developing the mindfulness and the insight, we'll see. Gradually, the brightness of the mind returns. If we're patient enough, put enough effort in, the brightness of the mind returns and we're happy again. It's based on this inner knowing or inner awareness, the mindfulness, the insight, the wisdom. The more we practice, the more we gain confidence in that, we, the more we will trust that. It's like the inner Buddha within us, our inner refuge. As Ajahn Chah used to say, we're all, nowadays, we're very good at building homes. Anyone can work a bit, get a mortgage, design a house, build it, build it themselves or pay someone to build it. But those kind of houses are all external and they're not very reliable. They only last a certain period of time. 
and you have to rebuild. But we have to learn how to build our inner home. And this peace and understanding that comes through the practice. This is our real refuge. Brings us real coolness, peacefulness of mind. And if we establish that more and more, then these kilesas, they can't affect us so much. All the negative emotions rooted in greed, anger, delusion, jealousy, fear. You start to see them as more external, more like flies or mosquitoes buzzing around. They can't actually come in and hurt the heart if you maintain mindfulness and insight. They're just like annoying visitors, but they can't actually do any damage. As Lumpur Buddha Dasa used to say, the mindfulness, the insight of the Arahant is so cool and continuous. It's like he's always living in a mosquito net. And the kilesas are like the mosquitoes buzzing around the outside. They can't penetrate through the mosquito net. So they just, the, the Arahant just remains inside, peaceful, happy. Can even taunt the kilesas, say, come in here and get me. But they can't because of the mosquito net. You'll see when your mindfulness is strong, even in difficult, unpleasant situations, the mind doesn't give in to greed, anger or delusion because the mind knows that's the cause of suffering. These are things to be abandoned, not held on to. There's enough clarity, enough insight to do that. But sometimes we give in and then we have to learn the hard way, the hard lesson. So we do suffer. We get caught back into our greed again, our anger again. <coughs> it's only after the event later on that we realize what happened. If we're honest and we're keen to practice following the Buddha, and it's like we have to pick ourselves up and admit, oh, I got caught into my greed again, my anger, my worry, my jealousy. Pick it up, pick up the mind, bring up the mindfulness, bring up the insight, start again. But even learning after an experience of suffering it's still better than nothing. It's still learning. Still insight can arise afterwards. And it helps you to prepare you yourself for the next time. You're ready. Falling into a situation where you're tempted to follow your greed or your anger. But because you've been hurt before, you don't want to get hurt again. So you're ready. You're ready to abandon those thoughts and mental states rather than follow them. So the Buddha said this path is a path of awakening, awakening to truth, understanding the way things are, the way everything arises from a cause. If you're suffering, there's a cause for it. We have to develop enough 
awareness, understanding, to get to know that cause and remove it so we don't have to keep suffering. If our mind is peaceful and happy, there's a cause for that. That's the cause to keep cultivating. If we keep practicing in this way, we'll, we're bound to get better at it, bound to get a little bit wiser, more experienced, more peaceful, and our wisdom will grow. Like the Buddha said, even the good we do in the practice, eventually we have to let go of that. Not in the beginning. In the beginning we have to develop the good qualities, the skills, the dana, the sila, <clears throat> the meditation, the insight. We have to develop the good, but ultimately we even have to let go of that. Because it's still not self, not to be grasped at as self. That maybe is one of the defilements of the, the Buddhist practitioner who's been doing it for a long time. Ajahn Chah used to say, we can still go crazy over the good we've done. We've learned to keep precepts, do dana, stop creating a lot of external suffering for ourselves and others. But internally, we can still have the self-view, the conceit, I'm a good person, I have precepts, I can meditate, I know what the Buddha taught. Even the good we do can become a cause of suffering. So that last bit of the Awada Patimokha, it says, Satchita Pariyotapanang, purification of the mind. It's bringing up the insight that even the good we do is still anicca, dukkha, anatta, still not self. The bad we do, the good we do, ultimately we're training the mind to go beyond both of them rise above the world, good and bad, completely transcend the world. That's the mind of the Arahant, the Nibbana. So today we've come together to remember Marga Puja. We've done some chanting, some meditation, listen to the Dhamma. So now I think it's a time we can uh, distribute some flowers, candles, joysticks, and we can um, finish this program by walking around the hall three times, showing our respect, and do it as a meditation. As you walk the first time, recollect Buddha. As you walk around the second time, Dhamma. Third time, Sangha. Do it as a walking meditation. <clears throat>